Pastor here. He is risen. See, over these past few weeks, I've had this internal ebb and flow of dis-ease. I don't know if you can relate to that at all. And at first, I, I categorized this feeling as really a normal and inappropriate response to a global pandemic breaking out and really drawing near to us here. But what I've been challenged by as of late is how to like further define this feeling, how to name this feeling. And this past week, I was having a chat with my wife, Jess, and over the course of this conversation, a word came to the fore um, that helped to bring some clarity around uh, that feeling of dis-ease. And that word was dread. And now I know uh, that may feel a bit heavy here on Easter Sunday, uh, but let's just think about this for a second. If there was ever a day to talk about dread, it's today. And not just because we are all experiencing like the repercussions and the fallout and the like all of the feels from COVID-19, but because today of all days in the Christian calendar is the day when the church reminds herself and, and especially the world of Jesus's resurrection power. You see this feeling of anticipation with great apprehension, which is like the technical definition of dread. This feeling, it feels almost limitless in this season. Like there's no expiration date on it. But church, that is a lie. There is an expiration date on our dread because dread does not have the final word in God's good world. And that is what we are turning our attention to today. That is what Easter draws us to. Because today, resurrection power is here to speak hope from an empty tomb to our dread. And now I'd, I don't want to uh, conflate my feelings with yours and then in turn like drum up dread in your hearts because I know that we are all experiencing this season in unique ways, specific to our circumstances. I totally get that. But what I do know is, and what I do want to see happen is that wherever we are at, physically, emotionally, spiritually, I would want us to know that we all have access to hope today in Jesus's name. See, this is the core of the Easter story. It is that the living God, Jesus the Christ, he has entered into the middle of the human story to bring hope to the hopeless. See, Jesus knows our sorrow. He knows our distress. He knows our dread. And the beautiful thing about our Jesus is that he can transform these circumstances that seem hopeless into little incubators of hope. Easter tells us that. Easter reminds us that hope is here in the name of Jesus. But our Jesus does this in a rather surprising way, you see. When Jesus of Nazareth comes on the scene to the Israel of his day, he does so teaching with authority. He's like casting out demons. He's healing the sick, some pretty miraculous stuff. And some thought that 
In light of this, he was a prophet, maybe Elijah back from the dead. And some thought, okay, um, well, he's just a, a rabbi like any other rabbi. And then others still thought that he was the one, the Messiah who would come and overthrow the Roman military oppressors. But when Jesus spoke about himself, he didn't embrace any of those titles wholeheartedly. Rather, he took this rather simple title, it's the Son of Man, which at its core just means the truly human one. See, for Jesus, this was a deeply subversive, almost like punk rock title, a, a title that taps into Daniel's prophetic imagination in the Hebrew Bible. Yes, that Daniel from the lion's den, that one. Jesus is tapping into this story from Daniel 7 where there's this vision of one like a son of man, this figure who would be exalted to rule with God in the heavens. This is how Jesus sees himself. This is the reality that Jesus lives into. And Jesus then, he came out of that place to show Israel and the world, which is you and me, what it means to be truly human what it means to partner with God in the renewal of all things. Which means that today on Easter, th there has never been a time more poignant than this one to hear from the one who is here to bring renewal. Because we so desperately need that in our world. And nobody would argue with that. You see, in the end, it, it wasn't a prophetic word from Jesus or a healing or the overthrowing of the political powers that led to Jesus' crucifixion. No, it was Jesus refusing to abandon his identity and hope in the Father's love. And so today, I can think of no better place for us to turn than to Jesus, and specifically the Jesus that we see in the brief words of exhortation in this letter called A Letter to the Hebrews. And so if you have your Bibles, I just want to invite you to flip or tap your way on over to the letter to the Hebrews. And you might actually see that little line, A Letter to the Hebrews, at the top of your Bibles. But this is a sermon of sorts, a, a homily, if you will. And I love that it's a brief exhortation because it's like 13 chapters long and really beefy. So this is why sermons uh, tarry on, right? <laughs> because this is the, the, like, the benchmark for brief. But we're going to start right there in Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And this is what we read. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers he spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And then check this out in verse three. He is, this is Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And just, let's just stop right there. See, the picture here is that Jesus is to the Father as the light emanating from the Son is to the Son. That you don't get one without the other. They are bound up and united. Jesus is God become human as the Son. And this Jesus is he in whom our ultimate hope resides. 
And so this Easter Sunday, we simply join with the author of Hebrews along their, uh, the contours of their two main points. And, and they're this. First, for us to see that Jesus is the ultimate that he is our ultimate and true hope that eclipses all other hopes in this world. And second, that because Jesus is the ultimate, we ought not abandon him. And so before we go any further, let me just say a quick word of prayer, and then we'll continue reading in our passage. So Father, we come to you you who are able to save us to the uttermost through your Son and empower us with your Spirit. And we just ask today that on this Resurrection Sunday that you you give us like fresh eyes to see your word, fresh ears to hear your gospel. God, that if this is the first time we're coming, that you would give us like space and margin to deal with all the baggage of religiosity that we bring to the table. And that we uh, would suspend judgment for these next few moments. And that we would be willing to receive from you. You who are, you're more than a prophet. You're more than just a good teacher. But you are God among us. Jesus Emmanuel. And so Jesus, would you stir our affections for you? Would you help us to see what love and hope embodied truly is so that we might live in kind? And we just pray this in your strong name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let's just uh, pick right up because we got a lot of ground to cover. (laughs) So continuing on in verse 3, we read this. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. See, right off the bat, uh, the author of Hebrews, he's going to compare Jesus to angels, which might sound just as odd as talking about dread on Easter. Uh, but, But for the Hebrew people, it was taught to them that the Torah, which are the very words and law of God, the place where hope and life reside for the people of Israel, that those words were brought to Moses on this high place called Sinai by messengers, by angels. And by making this little comparison and this claim about Jesus, that he is more superior, the author stands to reason that Jesus is not only the ultimate messenger, but that his is the ultimate message, that he is the true word. Which means that if Israel, who was called to pay attention to this message given to Moses and delivered by angels, how much more we who've received the good news from Jesus himself, the very Son of God, are to pay attention. And not only that, but how beautiful is it that this Jesus, the the one more excellent than the angels, he gave up that status to suffer under the weight of our sin? See, in Jesus, we see like the ultimate display, not only of God's glory, but the ultimate display of his humility You see, elsewhere in the scriptures, they'll say that Jesus became sin. Like he he took it into himself. He allowed it to consume him. And what happened in that moment was that Jesus, he actually like laid aside his position 
for our condition. And he allowed our condition to consume him so that we might be able to stand in his position. See, but the author doesn't stop right here. In fact, he's just getting going. See, Jesus is not just superior to the angels who delivered God's law, God's word of hope to Moses, but he's superior to Moses himself. In other words, Jesus is not just a leader of God's people and like a builder of a tent in the wilderness. Jesus is the builder of all creation. And I love the way that the author of of Hebrews says this. And we heard this just a moment ago, but I'm going to read this again. This is Hebrews 3, verses 1 through 6. And we read this. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who has appointed him, just as Moses, who is faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Makes perfect sense. We go on, verse 4. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast to our confession. And hear this. And if indeed we hold fast to our boasting in our hope. See, Moses, it's true, he did lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt on their way to the promised land. He led them through the wilderness. He did. He built a tent, a tabernacle where God would meet with his place, this this overlap of heaven and earth. But Jesus is God himself dwelling among his people. He is the one who has come to lead his people, not just out of the wilderness, but out of this like spiritual wilderness, this one where we are like lost in our sin. He wants to bring us into this place of true rest. And you see, the logic continues for the author of Hebrews that if Jesus is greater than Moses, then once again, the stakes are even higher for us. And now it may go without saying, but nevertheless, I'm going to say it. This season that we're in, this whole like novel coronavirus, it is like a wilderness. And we don't know how long we will be here. And so we're being pressed. We're being pressed with time itself. We're being pressed with both like presence, like the nearness of people, and we're being pressed with distance, the isolation of people. See, some of us can literally find no quiet place, except for maybe like your bathroom. And even there, there's like small fingers coming in under the door. And so we retreat to those places. But when those places are invaded, then we retreat within ourselves. We retreat into these past patterns of sin or we retreat into the the hope of like present satisfaction. And like, um, so we gratify those desires of our flesh. We we turn to like the initial release. And so uh, we turn to food, we turn to drink, we turn to pornography, we turn to gossip. But But if it's not that internal retreat, because of like the pressures all around us. It's, it's this like deep void of loneliness. See, we are being pressed in the wilderness of this present moment. And Jesus is here 
Jesus is here on this Easter to speak hope to us, to speak hope and invite us into a rest bigger than what we can provide for ourselves. He is here to invite us into the ultimate rest in God's new creation. And he says it this way at the end of chapter 4. And so go there with me, chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. And let's stop right there. See, see notice where Jesus is this Easter. He's not in the earthly tent. He's not in this image of our, our mortal flesh. He's passed through the heavens. That is, Jesus is glorified. He is in his resurrected body, seated at the right hand of God. This is where our Jesus lives to make intercession for us as our great high priest. You see, the very next verse, this is what the author of Hebrews says. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. See, it's without sin that Jesus has passed through the heavens. He lives to make intercession for us. He is alive on this day. And, and what's beautiful here is, yes, the sinlessness of Jesus and, yes, him passing through the heavens, but it's his role also as priest. You see, the role of a priest is to represent God to a people and a people to God. They stand in this place where heaven and earth overlap, a, a tent, a tabernacle, a temple. And they offer sacrifices there day and night, year after year, to God on behalf of his people. But here's the problem with the priests, is they need other priests to offer sacrifices for their sins as well. But this is not the case with our Jesus. See, our Jesus, the truly human one, he is a priest, not at, from the line of Levi, not after the order of Aaron. He is from the order of Melchizedek. And what the author of Hebrews is doing is, is he's drawing on back these stories in Genesis with Abraham in the Psalm, Psalm 110. And now this is a whole nother sermon for a whole nother time. But suffice it to say, Jesus is the eternally accessible priest. He is the one who stands before the Father. He's not in the earthly tent. He is in the heavens making intercession for us. He is our great high priest. And so the author urges us that we ought not reject this Jesus because he is our place of ultimate reconciliation with God. And to be clear, like I, I don't think that ours is uh, this emboldened rejection of Jesus, which is what it seems like the, the author of Hebrews is leaning into, these, these people who are stepping away from their identity with Christ. I think ours is a more subtle shift. I think ours is this subtle shift of our attention, this subtle shift of our affections, this subtle shift of our hope in this season. See, dread, dread does this to us. It's this anticipation with great apprehension. We don't really know where to hang our hope in this space of dread. 
And so what we do is we, we place our hope in the present rather than the permanent. But Jesus is here on this Easter through the author of Hebrews to remind us that his hope is a permanent hope. And I love the way that the author goes on to say this in chapter 9. Check, check this out. This is uh, chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. See, but when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with human hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. See, that is the place of our hope. It is an eternal hope. It is an abiding hope. Because unlike the sacrifices offered by the priest, Jesus' sacrifice was once for all, an all-sufficient sacrifice. See, he doesn't need to come daily or yearly. He has offered a permanent sacrifice. His is an eternal offering of sins past, present, and future. And I know often a rebuttal in this moment is, but you don't know the depths of my sin. You don't know my thought life. You don't know what I've come from. You don't know my family of origin. And you're right, I don't. I don't know all of your stories. But, but remember that line back in Hebrews 4, 15? We don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with us. He can sympathize with us in every way. He knows the full breadth of our suffering. He knows our dread. And he is inviting us in trust to move towards him because he has a hope that is secured in the heavens. We need a hope that is outside of ourselves in this present moment. When we are like worried about just walking down the street without a mask on, this is a hope that we need this Easter. We need a hope that is fixed permanently in the heavens. And I, I love, once again, how the author of Hebrews brings us to this. He, he says this in the very next chapter, chapter 10, verse 12. He says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, this is verse 14, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You see, Gateway, this is the reality that Jesus is the true word that he is the one who leads his people into true rest, that, that he is our ever available priest, and that he is our covering for sins. He is ours, and he can be yours today. He can be your true hope. And you know, in this brief word of exhortation from the author of Hebrews, we, we encounter Jesus. Jesus, who, who's not only the, the anchor for our souls in the turbulent waters of this present moment, we encounter a Jesus who is alive. Time and time again, the author of Hebrews will talk about a living hope that we have by talking about Jesus passing through the heavens. This is the hope that we have. It's that the tomb is empty. And I know 
I know that like a typical Easter service, a typical Easter account is, is going to have us surveying the empty tomb, where then Jesus will meet his grieving disciples with astonishment and joy, that their, their grieving will be so, like turned into just great measures of joy. And that is true here. Like this Easter story is not absent of that. But today, ours is an invitation to see that Jesus isn't bound in the Easter story, but rather he is loosed through the Easter story. The Easter is about hope loosed in God's good world. And that we, we the household of God, are the place where by God's grace that hope resides. So we are called to hold fast to that hope and even to embody that hope so that in us, that hope might be loosed in the world to preach resurrection power from our dread and our suffering. See, our Jesus, he lives to make intercession which means that he's not just alive from the dead to like kick it with his disciples. See, Jesus is alive from the dead to live into his true vocation as the Son of Man, the truly human one, to show us that our ultimate hope is one that stands even in the face of death. And my, my point here is not to be morbid, but the reality is, is that we will likely know soon if we do not already someone who has COVID and that 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 disease may take their life. But this Easter, we need to hear with the utmost clarity that Jesus of Nazareth, he looked death in the face and he died to it. That in Jesus, there is a hope that actually moves beyond the evil of our sin and our dread. And he makes a way forward into life eternal, a life that is breaking out now. There's this philosopher that has a saying, he says, eternity is now in session and that is never more true today. See, the invitation for us, Gateway, is to pray like we've never prayed before, to start to live and love those who are near and far from us like we never have before. In simple acts of gratitude and generosity, the, the sending of a text or an email, the moment of silence and prayer, the moment of like actually smiling at someone, even if they can't see your face behind your mask. You see, today is the day that we, like rebels for Jesus, enact hope. We stand with defiance to death. And yes, we stand in love, like sheltered in our homes, but we stand with a living Jesus. We stand living to make intercession. And so let us on this Resurrection Sunday live as those with a resurrection hope. It is my deep hope as your pastor that we would not look back on this season with regret or disdain or deep sadness, but we would look back on this season and we would say, my goodness, the wonders that we saw, the, the joy that I felt in Jesus meeting me afresh from the scriptures, drawing me near. And so let us today say that resurrection, that resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. That those words from Frederick Buchner are so true. That resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. 
we have a hope. So let us live as people of hope. May grace and peace and hope cover you this day because he is risen.